All right, I'm going to go in the intro now. All right, hit it. You're listening to Season Zero, Episode Double Zero of Hip Squared, American Fantastics Pop Culture Podcast, celebrating everything from the mainstream to the independent, weird, old, and local. Andrew and Rachel, how's it going? It's going great. Pretty good today. All right, welcome, welcome. Um, so this first tri- segment, Troy is not going to be with us, um, but we are doing a crossover episode with Armchair Apocrypha. That is a podcast that's uh, produced by Absinthe Activism Arts. Mm-hmm. Um, can you all tell us a little bit about Absinthe Activism Arts and um, what Armchair Apocrypha is all about? Uh, so Absinthe Activism Arts is our little collective. Uh, I write novels and short stories. Katie does artwork. Um, We've got a musician, Joshua Paul Brooks, who does folk stuff, and he just got a uh, uh, contract with an indie um, recording studio out of London, I believe. That's cool. Um, And then uh, what else do we have? It's really impressive when people across the pond are actually interested in you. (laughs) I I get excited when I look at the American Fantastic, and I'm like, oh, I got... 12 people from the UK that looked oh. to my site, but I'm like, nobody's offering me a, a publishing contract. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always love looking at our metrics and seeing people in Germany, France, South America. I think if you listen to our first um, uh, one-year anniversary episode, I list all of the countries who have listened to us. It's so great. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. So, Rachel, what's your involvement in all this? Very little. <laughs> <laughs> she is my co-host yep. and my roommate. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Say so you help keep the roof above Angie's head. Yeah, we'll Correct. go with that. That's cool. And help take care of the dogs sometimes. <laughs> oh, man, that's the, uh, yeah, that's like having a child. Well, not having a child together, but like <laughs> kind of having a child together when you're both taking care of a creature. I remember <laughs> my daughter was born. We had a dog named Bella, and like I would call Gaia Bella and Bella Gaia sometimes. <laughs> Because they occupied the same role in my brain. <laughs> my parents did that to me and our dog growing up, so it's all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, trigger warning for all you libs out there. <laughs> um, the uh, subject matter for at least my segment um, on Hip Square today is going to be explicitly political. And that's because the subject I'm covering, Chapo Trap House, is also explicitly political too in terms of their podcast and their book, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, but speaking about explicitly political actions, oh, this is actually something I talked about in season one of Hip Squared, um, where I talked about going to the Don- well, the Donald Trump rally protest in Louisville, Kentucky. It was spring of 2017, shortly after the 2016 election, yep. and I wasn't able to go to any of the protests or anything, but like, I was like, man, this dude's coming to my backyard. Like, I'm not just going to let him step up in this without you know, putting some shit on issues, so to speak. <laughs> so... Um, I actually, this is funny because I was actually intending to get, to infiltrate the rally and get kicked out, but um, I didn't show up on time with my friend Matt because um, there was a romantic interlude at home first, which took up too much time. And then, um, so I got there and there was a huge rally, but they wanted everybody to stay behind the certain fence perimeter at, um, mm-hmm. what was it? Was it KFAC? Where was that? Do you remember? Uh, I, didn't, I don't remember. It was like Kentucky Exposition Center. Yeah. It was some spot where, like, so you could protest outside of these gates, but the actual, um, the rally was going on in this, like, big, I can't remember. It's like this big auditorium space, like, you know, 
stadium kind of space. And um, so I got up to the front before they were letting people in, or after they were done letting people in. Right. And there were other people trying to get in that couldn't. And I had a ticket, because you get free tickets. But, um, like, I even asked, like, I was like, dude, would you just pat me down and, like, let me in? And, like, no, that's not cool. And I even heard <laughs> they were, like, doing stuff to basically, like, suss people out or, like, filter people, like, asking questions to, like, you know, probably um, other intellectual and vocal saboteurs like myself <laughs> but um so anyway so we went what i did is i was with my friend matt who's also like a really good friend of mine um and we so what i did is like well if they're not gonna let us in there's all these like iron you know they had like those iron rails and so i was like well let's let's go back to where all because like that was also when officially like the quote-unquote official protest where it's like i don't even consider it a protest when they make well it is a protest but they try to separate you from like you know, 500 yards from what you're trying to protest. I'm like, that's bullshit. Like, you got to get in their faces. So what I went, and I, I wasn't the only person, but I, I was like, guys, we got to get everybody that's at those gates that's willing to to come up to, the, like, the foot of these doors. And um, and we did. So, like, we, like, called people over. We led this procession, and there was nobody stopping us. It's like, that's the thing. is like, people wanted to follow the rules and be civilized, but it's like, there's nobody stopping us from just walking in. Mm-hmm. And there are these, like, rails, these perimeters, and there are cops there, but, like, they were cool. They were just trying to make sure, like, no fights broke out or, like, nothing bad went on. So there was, like, a fountain area. There's, like, yeah. s- something you could stand up on, too, right? Yeah, we were all wrapped around the fountain. And so, um, and Black Lives Matter was there. There were, like, these teenage girls there, I guess, from, like, school or something. People had signs. There was, like, a line of cops. Um, so there were some photos that looked really cool. <laughs> and we were just doing chants. And, um, yeah, it was really neat. It was also when Standing Rock was going on. So the the chant I invented was uh, all day around the clock we stand with Standing Rock. But then, you know, you go to the classes, like, this is what democracy looks like and all those. Um, and so that's where I met Andrew. It was like standing arm in arm with him and Black Lives Matter and all these other new comrades um, that I never met before. And Andrew and I just kind of like kept up with each other. And then like the other cool thing was as the rally was letting out, all the people that went to the rally had walked by us. <laughs> and like we got to have this kind of like antagonistic back and forth with each other. But there wasn't any violence that night. And it was like, I don't know, it is what democracy looks like. And so. As much as I am on the side of what I consider good and just, um, yeah, it was neat to have that kind of like, um, I kind of think of it as spiritual warfare. Um, it's better than shedding blood. Andrew, what do you remember that, that day? Um, my biggest memory was uh, the one Trump supporter who was, uh, he got up in one of my comrades' um, daughter's spaces. And so I had put my arm out between them and he started yelling at me. And you were right there like next to me as we were chanting at him <laughs> as he was yelling in my face. Um, and I think we were chanting, uh, say it loud, say it clear, refugees are welcome here. Okay. And he was yelling at us about refugees. I vaguely remember that. Like the people that had the guts to actually like come up yeah. and try to get in our faces but then we would all surround them and just be like shut them down yeah that was my favorite memory it was just great to have like people around me as this yeah. trump supporter was yelling in my face and um it was also like we were trying to own and use our white male privilege for good because they were young black lives matters protesters there including black men and i remember when we were walking out because we knew there was a police presence there we were getting to the front it would walk by with these black men because we figured they were less likely to bug them if there were also um, privileged white men next to them, which is a cool tactic that I didn't know that the Black Lives Matter people taught us. And I was yeah. like, that's badass. <laughs> anyway, well, let's uh, actually get into the media episode now. Rachel, well, first I should ask Rachel, Rachel, have you been into any kind of like political activism activities or protests or anything like that that you remember? Yeesh. 
You oh. were with Marion, uh, Marion, me at the um, the women's march, right? Yep, we was at the rally to move forward yeah. march um, in twenty sixteen. That, was, that yeah. was after the election, but before the inauguration. Yes, yes, because one of my favorite signs was um, "This isn't normal," and it was something like on stilts <laughs> with like a weird like head or something That's like scary. that. Yeah. So this was before the pussy hats. This was with the pussy with, with yeah, the pussy with hats. So that was already yes, happened. Yes, this was their the inaug- that was the, their inauguration. Mm-hmm. Was the, oh, okay. the pussy hats? That's good. And that was in Louisville. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was downtown Louisville. Okay, very cool. Speaking about the 2016 election, um, the subject that I'm going to talk about today is Chapo Trap House. Uh, Chapo Trap House is best known as a podcast. Um, it's a very scathing. Um, but comedic political podcast run out of New York. I believe they're friends and roommates in Brooklyn, I want to say. Um, but they are, I, I would say they have like a very sardonic wit, but also very profane <laughs> and extreme. Because um, they they love nothing better than just like taking the piss out of anybody. Um, and they also like will make fun of each other. And it's kind of like... Um, a less toxic version of like dudes in the dorm room making fun of each other, but also like using that as a fuel to like make fun of people that they don't like. <laughs> right. And um, they they were actually started in the run up to the 2016 election, so they covered the primaries and they covered everything leading up to that. And uh, like most podcasts, they were really rough around the edges when they started, but they kind of reached like a zenith peak around the time of the 2016 election, because all these disaffected millennials and others um, were listening to them because they're like, you know, like, we're tired of listening to CNN, we're tired of listening to NPR, in terms of, like, how polite people think they have to be. Right. And they're also very far to the left of where the, um, like, the, the Democratic establishment is, because in America, of course, you have, like, this two-headed dragon <laughs> that's all like still spouting from the body of capitalism and they kind of like snipe and fight at each other but they still sort of like all want the same things especially with neoliberalism and neoconservatism that includes like imperialism and warfare and uh you know economic warfare um and all those kinds of things whereas where Chapo is coming from is they have the perspective like they have a deep um, intellectual knowledge of history and politics but they also like aren't snobby like they're really into pop culture um they'll go and see like movies after smoking a bunch of weed or taking edibles or like they get drunk they like they party and they have fun and they like they do all these things that you think of like young people doing and they're not ashamed to admit it when i say young they're not like real young they're about millennials my age i think they're like in their late 20s early 30s mid 30s i think so yeah yeah and um so they're still like young enough and there's enough like pop cultural relativism that like They'll cuss, they'll get in these rants, and so it's like, there's, like, these really funny moments, but then they also get, like, very frustrated and very, um, and they, like, give shit to each other, which is hilarious to me, because it reminds me of the dynamic, like, my friends and I had growing up. So it wasn't like you're just trying to do sick burns, you're, like, incorporating, like, pop culture references or, like, crazy analogies, and, like, they do, um, really funny impersonations of, uh, Gorka. Is the funniest one I think they do? from Gorka, yeah. Isn't they like, and I can't do a very good one, but it's like... It is I, Gorka. And, like, they did this crazy, like, maniacal supervillain version of Gorka. Um, anyway, they're just, like, really – it's, like, really, really funny. And I learn a lot listening to them because 
Well, there's a few things. I mean, they're talking about stuff that you hear in the news. Like, if you listen to NPR, you listen to, or like, you just go on Reddit and like see what's big. Or, um, but they're giving it their own incisive take. But then they're also talking about things that are going on in other countries. Like, they got, they've been like really into like things going on in Venezuela because there's so much propaganda for us to sit through about like Chavez and like acting like, well, socialism doesn't work because of Venezuela. But then you're thinking like, okay, there's like this economic warfare that's being waged on them, just like they have done in Cuba and the Soviet Union. So like when these places collapse, is it really, you know? <laughs> and um, I don't like totalitarianism, totalitarianism as much as anybody else. But at the same time, it's like, how much do you know? Because I mean, there's still like populist leaders that wanted to take from the rich and give to the poor and as corrupt as they could be. It's like also like, what do you do when you can't import food or what do you do when you can't export your oil kind of thing? Um, but yeah, they, so they, they give it a perspective on this and I, I don't really like, I mean, I, I'm not saying I agree with everything they say cause I would have to research and back a lot of stuff up, but they, they seem to have this very, like, it's almost like this nihilistic worldview with like a glimmer of hope behind it, which I think is really beautiful cause you know, like they talk about like our planet beyond on fire and the, the effects of climate change and all these things and like how, intensely um, stacked the deck seems to be in regard to capitalism, but they also have this optimism and this like determination to like, you know, create a new world. And like, they're really hardcore behind Bernie Sanders and they're really into people like AOC that I know, but they're also into these, like all this historical leftism that's going on. And um, like, um, and do you remember the guy from Jeremy Corbyn, right? Yeah. Yeah. From the Labor Party. Yeah, from yeah. the Labor Party in the UK. So they, they talked a lot about that. They were really, really happy about that when it came up. And so you get these things, and, it's, and they're definitely talking from their perspective. But to me, it's more balanced in some ways because it's just like they're not getting censored by anybody. They don't have to worry about editors. They don't have any advertisements on the show. They have a premium other show. Right. So that's so they don't have to, like, censor themselves. They don't have to worry about pissing off sponsors. Um and the last thing I'll say, well, I'll let you guys talk about a lot more about this or like what your ideas are, but the one uh, Achilles heel I feel about this show is it is a bunch of mostly white dudes talking together. So it could seem like alienating to other people and, and being a white man. It's like, that's kind of the fishbowl I grew up in. Like that's the water that was coming in my gills. But, um, and they're still extremely entertaining and enlightening to listen to even, even um, during the regular iterations. But there is a um, member of Chapo Trap House who's not on every episode, but when she is there, I think it creates this very good dynamic because, uh, like, like all badass smart women, she's able to kind of like judo these guys into like realizing how dumb they're being sometimes, <laughs> or like counteract that. And she's always on top of her shit. She always knows a lot. Um, her name is Amber Ollie Frost, and she's also extremely funny and she's like hilarious to listen to. But she's. She definitely has her intellectual bona fides and has been published um, by a lot of, like, left-wing, but also, like, left-wing with high-profile publications. So, um, so yeah, when she's on, I feel like it's a lot more inclusive. And and as much as they do talk, um, as much as I am kind of setting them up as, like, just another, like, a, like another primarily white male-dominated podcast, just, like, you know, the... We are getting more, uh, seeing more representation and diversity in podcasts as a genre, but it's still like very much, uh, especially the early history entrenched in like straight white males talking to each other in a room. Um, but a lot of their guests are like international or um, other, like um, their last guest that I listened to was a guy from the CTU, Chicago Teachers Union, because there's right. a big strike going on out there. Kenzo Shibata. Kenzo Shibata, yeah. And so he's got a Japanese name. He has speaks with an American accent, but it's like, yeah, like, 
and it's cool. So that's another way that they get representation in um yeah, so have you guys ever listened to this? or I've not, but now I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah, I listened to them a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like their humor a lot, but they can sometimes veer into being just cruel and yeah. punching down, which I don't like. Um, they've had a few scandals, uh, with uh, mostly with Matt Chrisman making off-color jokes. That Who's Matt Chrisman? Never, I mean, I heard them the, talking about them. He's one of the hosts. Uh, okay. um, I like he, joking on him. Uh, no, he'll make irreverent uh, jokes about, like, oh, uh, Germans are dumber because of their skull size. And oh, if you know the history of eugenics, you know that that's, like, he's making fun of them. But just on its face, it doesn't look like a joke. It looks I like see. he's being serious. So you can take it out of context, and if you don't have that. Um, right. Because there is, like, a, a lot of irony, and it's, like, if you don't have those layers of the onion, you might just take it at face value. And, and like, sometimes it's fuck? irony poisoning. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> you know, I know that you're on this many layers of irony, but I'm not. Yeah. And that's kind of why I like, like, when Amber's there, because she – because I definitely feel that. And, like, that would be my, um, like, biggest critique of the show is that sometimes it can just be, like, too much. Like, I like sardonic and nihilistic humor to a right. point. But it's almost like there's too much salt in the food. Like you want a decent amount. <laughs> Some people like a lot of salt. But then when you like unscrew the lid, you kind of ruin the dish with it. Right. Whereas I feel like when Amber is there, because I also believe in like just this balance between like masculine and feminine energy. And like, you know, I know gender is a spectrum and like men and women are like it's also a social construct. But I just feel like when she is there, she's sort of like the antidote to a lot of that. And like her humor isn't like that. Um and it's kind of one of those things where it's like she's able to hang with the boys, but she's also like willing to like put them on their ass when she feels like they say the wrong or thing. Or like, the line or yeah. yeah. And it's not in a shameful way. It's more just like she makes a better joke. That's like, because because like my friends were like this in high school. So you would give each other so much shit and tease each other, but the way to get them to shut up wasn't to like be like, hey, shut up. You just crossed your line, man. That's not right. Like you basically would have to give them a sicker burn than the one they gave you. But inject something into it was like, like so you can say it without having to say it, and that's what mm-hmm. she does a lot. Um, I don't know. What do you feel? Ever feel like that way, Rachel? Like when you're hanging out with guys that you kind of kind of feel like to, I don't want to say police them, but like just like like rolling your eyes on the inside or like having to speak up when they do cross lines, or do you just kind of like that's not my role? I don't have to do that. I'm not your mom. Like, um, no, but I have some pretty woke friends. I'll <laughs> say, but you know, it doesn't. I feel like. Because the friends I have, they wouldn't be offended if I brought it up or something like that, if that makes sense. Okay. They would just have, like, a red face for a second and then realize. What did you just say? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Repeat that again? Exactly. Okay. Well, that's good. I mean, I like it when people are holding each other accountable. And, like, they're kind of just doing it through the dimension of this show. Um, But, yeah, if – and one of the – okay, so if if you want to listen to an episode – I would just listen to the most recent Amber Ollie Frost one or just Google a bunch of those. Um, they are on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. They have a website. Um, I don't know how many people listening are into drug culture, but I have definitely um, experimented with psychedelics myself. And, um, you know, I haven't done all the hard drugs and I don't do pills or opiates because they scare the shit out of me. <laughs> but um, I have done acid and shrooms. And there's an episode where it's not the Republican convention, but it's like the one they hold every year, like CPAC. Okay, one of them goes to CPAC on acid. Whoa. <laughs> like, basically, like, very much like a gonzo journalism kind of thing. And also is this, like, masochistic challenge to himself and reports on it after the fact. And it's, like, because, I mean, CPAC is kind of, like, its own acid trip. It's, like, Americans 
like own toxicity. So it's sort of like being on acid while you get here is almost like a double negative. Mm-hmm. And it like reminds me of that scene in um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas where Hunter goes into that hotel and everybody are lizards. It's like it's sort of the same kind of, I don't know. So that's really neat. Um, the last thing is if you guys like the written word, there is a book called The Chapo Guide to Revolution, A Manifesto Against Logic, Facts, and Reason. Um, it's a really good, very funny it, – it follows the same humor of the show, but you actually learn a lot too. Um, there's, it's also well-referenced. Uh, it's got an index. Um, and they do cite things a lot. So you are getting like you, – you do know that they're not just talking about their, out of their ass about things. And um, – yeah, so this book is dedicated to the brave Mujahideen figures, fighters of Afghanistan. Do you guys know what that's a reference to? No. Can you explain uh, that, Andrew? First Blood, was, it was one of the uh, ending cards uh, because at the time, uh, Mujahideen, Mujahideen uh, they were our allies in the war against the Soviets. Yeah, in Afghanistan. So that's what, And that's like the kind of examples of their humor. And one last thing I forgot to touch on, uh, a favorite segment of the show of mine is called the Chapo Trap House Reading Series. And um, what they'll do is they will, it's kind of like Mystery Science uh, Theater 3000 for political writing, but they will pick like liberal and conservative columnists, read them, and then like just take the piss out of them and make fun of them or like just talk about the weird logic or what their lives must be like for them to write those kinds of things, <laughs> which is hilarious. And for people that don't know, do you guys know what a trap house is? Either one of you? Have you heard that term? It's a house where you get trapped. <laughs> it's a it's a drug house. It's a drug house. So like if you're moving Mine's drugs or you're like taking drugs, it's like it's like yeah, it's like kind of a version of a crack house, but it's more like where you keep your stash and where you uh you know where the money is. And El Chapo, do you guys know? Have you ever heard of El Chapo, mm-hmm. Rachel? So here's El Chapo, or what do you know about him? He's a man. I know the name. You, know you don't have name. to give me more than that. Okay, so he's a big drug dude from Mexico. Oh yes. Do you they remember do what, like a drunk history or something about him? Yeah, they do. Okay, do you remember um, when he got busted? He, he broke out of prison. Yeah, yeah, that was not that long ago. No, and I don't know. I think that was probably because of corruption, right? Like, I don't think probably. he actually literally broke like dug a tunnel or anything. I think just I don't know. They said that, but he didn't. I, I'd have to do some more research about that. But um, there is this song called "All I Want to Be Is El Chapo," and they do a remix over it for the intro. It's like "All I Want to Be Is El Chapo." Um, $3 million in pesos. All I want to be is El Chapo. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's just really funny because uh, El Chapo is like this kind of mythical figure among mm-hmm. hip-hop. Um, there's a this verse in Black Beatles by Ray Strimmer, and it's like uh, like Chapo serving yayas to the gringos kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, that's like part of their pseudonymic humor too is because like, they're like these nerdy white guys in Brooklyn like using this like hardcore hip-hop song and like <laughs> drug figure to kind of uh, – and, and their symbol is like the CIA anti-cocaine intelligence force. It's got like a Grim Reaper on it. <laughs> so anyway, I have gone on long enough. Uh, if you guys want to check out Trap House, Trap House, they're on Apple Podcasts, or on iTunes. Uh, the Chapo Guide to Revolution, a Manifesto Against Logic, Facts, and Reason is also available in paperback now. Um, so you can see that too. If you want to get even more Chapo, there's also a spinoff podcast called Come Town. Um, and yeah, like if that makes you gag, I totally understand because it kind of makes me gag too and I've never even listened to an episode. Um, and if you want to support this show in your hardcore fan, they do have a premium feed and that's where they make all their money. Uh, and they do a live tours, none in Louisville yet, unfortunately. Because we were just talking about this before the yeah. show, how Louisville has too many cities around it that are bigger, mm-hmm. like Nashville, Chicago, um, Cincinnati, India. So anyway, we unfortunately do not get a lot, any live podcasts of any national shows that I've ever known of. But We did get uh, Street Fight Radio. 
What's Street Fight Radio? Street Fight Radio is two anarcho-syndicalists from uh, Ohio. Um, and they they do series like um, reading through uh, Walmart's uh, code of conduct and, and stuff you, like that. <laughs> What's your name again? It's Street Fight Radio. Street Fight Radio. Okay, I got to check that out. Um, I wrote a blog in American Fantastic, if you guys ever want to read it, AmericanFantastic.com, and it's... um. It's about Wendy's training videos from the eighties. And oh. it's like a celebration of those. Like they made all these songs and like some of them are black exploitation. It's like ripping off Michael Jackson and telling people how to like flip burgers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I embedded a bunch of YouTube clips. And then the at the end I'm like, if you really want to get into it, like look into the black portal of the blockbuster training video. Because oh. there's so much like corporate training and guy and so it's like it just shows because they make it explicit how weird capitalism is and how much they like try to bend you into these like uncomfortable positions to just sell more but then it's also funny because like they the the ones by wendy's are actually like really well made and like well produced but they're just like so funny to it'd be like something that you would smoke a bowl or like drink a beer and just laugh your ass out <laughs> for like and they're all on youtube but uh okay so street fight radio so that we got a we got a little yeah i'm gonna check that one out so what would you guys like to talk about today in terms of pop culture or i leave this to andrew right. <laughs> uh have you heard of what's going on with blizzard yeah, so I know of Blizzard as I don't know specifically, but I know of Blizzard as a video game company. Yes, um, I started playing like I played the original Warcraft one in the '90s, and like I've basically followed them up through them. Uh, so Blizzard right now is in kind of a scandal um, because the Hong Kong protests are happening, and one of the people who won the uh, Hearthstone um, championship or conference whatever they, yeah. they were doing now that you bring it up i am vaguely remembering this it's yeah. like rattling a few bells so it was a player named ing blitzchung Wai chung um and he shouted a statement in support of ongoing pro-democracy protests in hong kong at which time blizzard uh put him on a year suspension um and they revoked all of his earnings from the the championship jesus fucking christ this is like I don't remember their names, but the two black dudes from the 68 Olympics that yeah. did the Black Panther protest mm-hmm. and got their gold and silver medals taken away. It's, like, so analogous, and it's crazy that people are still doing it. Because, you know, it's, like, that's going to be the thing that 30 years ago from now, like, people are going to look back on and just, like, be like, that was so unjust. Oh, I know, yeah. Or, like, even today, like, people are like, you know what I mean, talking about it. So uh, the um, the fans, they there was an outcry. A lot of people canceled their World of Warcraft suspension or subscriptions uh, a lot of people stopped playing overwatch a uh, bunch of people protested their latest conference um, and so i think that they have reduced the suspension down to six months but they haven't returned his winnings yet um, and so was one of the blizzard higher-ups came out today and apologized Let's but ass. they apologized but are they going to give him are they going to give him his winnings well, back so or are they silly gonna... because so one thing that Blizzard is really good at, they're really good at taking established genres and kind of perfecting them. Um, Warcraft, the real-time strategy genre, they pioneered that, but it's also like there was an original Dune, an adaptation of the Dune book series that used real-time strategy. And so they kind of perfected that when they made Warcraft. Um, when they made World of Warcraft, they were perfecting the MMORPG mm-hmm. that EverQuest pioneered. Um, with Overwatch, they took Team Fortress 2, which Valve did, and like Team Fortress Classic, which was like basically online first-person shooter fighters, and created Overwatch. And what Hearthstone is, is they took Magic the Gathering 
and made that into like a digital game. You could make it play on your smartphone. So it's kind of like, and it's funny because like that's what we always accuse China of is like stealing patents and creating <laughs> their own versions. Um, but I also know it's like, because I know, well, StarCraft is huge in South Korea. Like people have died playing StarCraft in marathons. Yep. And what? I know, yeah. Do you know what StarCraft is? A video game, I'm assuming. Do you know what a real-time strategy genre is? Like, I can explain it to you without, not that long if you sure. don't. So, like, you know how, like, on a chessboard, everybody moves one piece at a time? Mm-hmm. So a real-time strategy game, it's kind of like a chessboard, but imagine, like, all the pieces can move simultaneously. And so, like, on one side, you have, like, big groups going this way, big groups going that way, and, like, they're fighting in, like, a war, and you, like, build walls or encampments. And, yeah. and so, like, that's what StarCraft is, but in, like, this sci-fi lens. Mm-hmm. And that, but you can play competitively, like, online and have tournaments. And, like, people can, it's fun to look at. Yeah. So they can and make lots of money. And I'm sure that they make tons of money in, from Chinese subscribers and games and, like, yeah, like, doing competitions there. But because China is so, like, um, you know, one party, totalitarian rule, like, digital surveillance and all that hardcore, it's like, well, like, basically, if Blizzard let this happen and didn't, come down with a hammer on it, they would lose, like, I don't know, millions or billions even potential revenue. Right. And that's the excuse that a lot of people are making for them. Yeah. So it's, like, the same. Yeah, it's, like, it's like how capitalism permeates and sickens everything it touches because if it wasn't for this, it'd be like, okay, he's using this platform and his skill and his ability to to highlight this political, like, you know, this historic moment. And it's, like, the same thing with the NFL and the players kneeling. It's just, like, another example of it. But it's so funny because, like, I can't imagine, um, I don't know, like, them suspending, I know he's not as big anymore, but, like, Kobe Bryant for a year or something because he said something about, you know, the protests in Ferguson or, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's insane. So what do you predict's going to be like? The the I know we just got the apology. Was it, like, a weak-ass apology or what did they say? It was a really weak-ass <laughs> apology. Okay. Um, I don't know if he's going to get his winnings back. I don't know if he's going to have his suspension lifted. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I do know that they have another Diablo game coming out, I think, next year. Yeah. So they're probably just hoping that it's all going to blow over. Okay. Um, here's my recommendation. And the and uh, Blizzard's really hardcore about um, digital rights management. So much out of the fact that when I got rid of my warcraft 3 box because i was condensing all my collection into um like binders because i didn't have the box anymore and because the dumb motherfuckers put the serial number on the box instead of the cd and like blizzard like blizzard installations now they make you connect online like i can't even play my goddamn warcraft 3 cd um i mean i had to buy it again from blizzard but if you are uh somebody who can um surf the waves of the dark web or can get like a serial numbers or know how to give out free subscriptions to blizzard properties like i say like you know if you want to keep playing those games just like pirate the high seas and don't give them any of your, more of your money because i'm sure there's ways to do it or like post things and like talk about it and there's other like yeah if you're gonna overwatch play some motherfucking team fortress 2 it's so yeah. good it's class-based first person shooter i was really into it it's free now because it's so old but it's mm. still really good um play is some trying to think of what else Oh, like um, Red Alert was an incredible um, real-time strategy game. If you get Red Alert, Red Al- sorry, Command and Conquer Red Alert Three, t- uh, Tim Curry has a bad Russian accent in it, and there's a lot of good FMV in it. So take, oh yeah, Hearthstone. Go buy some goddamn Magic the Gathering decks. Play play in the meat space with some friends, and like let Blizzard know that if they're so good at um, copying other genres and trying to perfect them, then like just go to the originals of what, go to uh, yeah, like what they. Uh, 
took the DNA from and created their own shit. Do you have any recommendations, Andrew, or anything you think? One of one of the coolest uh, protests I've seen so far is people taking Blizzard characters mm. and making them posters, <laughs> uh, propaganda posters for the pro democracy Hong That's Kong really protests. Cool. Yeah, uh, trying to get Blizzard banned in China because all of their <laughs> characters are pro democracy. Yeah, well, like uh, isn't it Winnie the Pooh banned in China now? Oh my god! <laughs> because uh, people were using him as a stand-in for Xi Jinping. Yeah, that's hilarious. And well, yeah, we'll have our fists raised in the air with all the Hong Kong posters. Um, speaking of podcasts and radio shows, This American Life just did an incredible episode about the Hong Kong protests where they went there. I can't remember. It's basically it was like the the hundred day anniversary of the Hong Kong protests. So they went on the streets, talked to. Um, People doing protests, you got to learn like everything they do. Like they'll take subway cars there, um, they'll put makeup on their way home so they to avoid detection. A lot of people in China live with their parents, and like generationally, there's a lot of tension. Um, one dude who was a protester has a dad who's a cop, and so like the mom was kind of like with the protesters, but couldn't really go out that hard against her husband. But then the son was like, "Well, he'll never be able to understand it." And if you want to get, like, you can read a few articles in the Hong Kong protest just to get, well, can you just lay out, like, what's the big conflict that they're protesting in the first place, Andrew? So the, the catalyzing factor was a uh, extradition order from Hong Kong to China, which a lot of people were against. But that's, there's been a history for decades of China basically trying to use Hong Kong as its piggy bank and extracting resources from it, trying to uh, use it um, in a way that most uh, imperialist countries use their uh, their colonies. Um, and so the extradition order was basically the catalyzing factor. Uh, I don't remember what the Hong Kong uh, protesters, they had five demands. Mm. And I think only the extradition order was met so far. Yeah, and the, and the reason that Hong Kong has such a strong history of democracy is kind of ironic because they were a British colony, I think, for almost 100 years until very recently. And so um, as British colonialism rightfully decayed, <laughs> it still had injected into it a lot of um, Western like free speech principles. And, um, and so like going back into mainland China – like, like that's who claims dominion over them. There's always been this tension between them. And, of course, there's a lot of English speakers there because um, – and, 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 and it's neat listening to this American Life episode because there's, like, this – I think they're called the Kirsch Generation. And I think it's everybody born in 1997. So, like, people in their early 20s now um, because it was, like, right around the handover. And so it's, like um, – and so basically one of the big tensions is like, why weren't our parents fighting for this? Because now that they didn't, we have to. Right. Uh, which is kind of like the way I think like Greta Thunberg and a lot of people are feeling about like environmental things. Yeah. Like I got really frustrated about that. I was like, like why didn't, like they could have had a Green New Deal in the 70s. They knew how to make yeah. solar panels. They knew how to make windmills. Uh, we had this huge energy crisis. They, they claimed that they wanted independence from Saudi oil, but then like they just doubled down on it. It's like, if you guys weren't so full of shit, like we would already be where we had to be. But now it's like we have to keep people dragging and screaming, but also it's like the world is on fire. And now, like, you know, like back then it was like this smoldering heap. Like, well, yeah, the Industrial Revolution lasted 150 years, and that's when we didn't know how to do any better. But then once we did, we still haven't been. So anyway. Exxon, Exxon Mobil knew in the 70s how bad it would be yeah. this year. It's insane. And they buried that information. And, and it's so fatalistic because it's like those people had grandkids. Those people were like – 
and it's just insane. And like that's the thing too is like there's this bizarre fantasy that um and, and like I'm sure people in the Chinese party think this too. It's like where eventually they're just gonna be able to cloister themselves and stockpile all this food. And like it's like no, dude. It's like did you realize like if you don't have any people harvesting food or like the grunts working for you, like eventually that food's gonna run out. You can't eat money. You're just gonna be as fucked as everybody else is. It's just gonna take you another few decades. <laughs> There are a lot of rich people buying land in New Zealand because that's going to be their bunker whenever yeah. climate change hits. And it's like, how are you going to live once the food runs out? Yeah, exactly. And like where there's no fish in the sea or when a bunch of angry Australian people or indigenous <laughs> people come and take your shit anyway because they have more machine guns than you, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think, um, I mean, I'm hoping, like, I would love this resistance with Hong Kong. I mean, like, the ultimate dream would be, like, you know, like, Tibetan independence and Hong Kong independence and... um. I doubt that'll ever happen, but I think as long as, like, hopefully the uh, Hong Kong can be as much a thorn in the side of China, that eventually they're just like, fuck it, it's not worth the trouble. And, um, what's I gonna say? Oh, yeah, like, I think part of the demands, too, is basically, so, like, when when Hong Kong, like, re-entered China, there was, like, this gradual changes that were gonna happen, but basically, like, part of it was, like, they were always gonna preserve some autonomy, and so China is reneging on that in Beijing. And so I think that's one of the big catalyzing forces, too. And that's what you like mentioned was the extradition charges and all that. Um, we went on a lot about Hong Kong. So, Rachel, I know you don't have to get into a topic as big as this. But, oh like, is there anything that you're, like, reading or listening to that you just like and can talk about for a minute or 30 seconds or anything? I'm really bad when I'm put on the spot. What's on your – do you read at night? Huh? Do you read like before you go to bed? I used to, and now I just literally fall asleep when I get into bed. What do you listen to on your way to work? Um, well, what I like podcast wise, yeah, or just anything like do music or podcast or I whatever. I listen to music. I listen to podcasts usually. So Mondays and Thursdays are when the new My Favorite Murder comes out. Okay. So I just listen to those too because even though they talk about murder, it brightens up my day because they're <laughs> so fucking funny yeah. and sweet at the oh, same so time. So it's like it, it sort of balances the grimness with like um, nerding out over mur- like real true yeah, crime murders. Yeah, true, true crimes. Sometimes um, Karen likes to throw in a I Survived because yeah. that's her favorite story <laughs> or that's her favorite show on yeah. the ID channel or whatever. So. Okay. Because I, I, part of what my resistance has been with the true crime drama is it sort of seems to fetishize that. And my mom read, like, all these true crime books growing up. Um, and, like, Serial had a cool true crime, like, first season. but I heard heard about it, but I never listened yeah, to it. Yeah, and Everyone, yeah, listened to it. And, and so <laughs> well, the second season is really good because it's all about Bo Bergdahl yeah. and, like, coming back. And the third season was, like, um, Cleveland's criminal justice system. Wow. But I've always been afraid of the true crime genre because I'm like... I just don't want to be depressed after I listen to something. Some are, some are not, because... But if it's leavened with all that humor, I think is. I can, like, handle it. And if I'm... Because the other thing, too, is, like, I know what not to listen to when I'm in a bad mood or anxious mm-hmm. or depressed. Exactly. But if I'm in a good mood, I'm like, okay, I'm yeah. in the, I could listen to this now. They, I've tried, like, listening to other ones that are kind of similar. Because I do like true crime, but it's actually way too depressing. I have to be in the mood for it. But theirs is very, very different because they always end with something positive mm. so there's that and they kind of bring it you back out of it and they kind of tell you like the reason they chose the story or why they went with it and most of i mean some are like super depressing and they like actually have trigger warnings for that at the beginning like this okay. is just not gonna end well it just gets yeah. worse and worse but usually most of the stories even though some do end in murder some don't which is funny because it's called my favorite murder but the ones that do that most of the time they find justice and the really sad ones are the ones where it's like still unsolved to this day but what has come of it like either 
social justice wise or like with um, new laws and things like that. That sounds really nice. cool. My favorite murder. Yeah, and then one episode. Do you know about like the dingo ate my baby? Oh yeah, so I was a huge Seinfeld nerd growing up, and oh, okay. there's an episode. Well, this is how every. Every 90s kid I know is this how they were introduced to it. But there's an episode where they're all at a party and Jerry and Elaine are supposed to bail each other out mm-hmm. in these conversations if they get too boring or there's so many yeah. they just don't want to talk to. But I think Jerry is like trying to chat up this woman that he has a, that he likes. Yeah. And, like, and, um, and, and so he like leaves Elaine on a Dutch drive and then this woman's like, what did they do with my baby? And I think she's talking about her like sweetheart. Yeah. And Elaine just looks at her in deadpan and this like hilarious Australian accent is like, maybe the dingo ate your baby. <laughs> she's like, what did you say? Maybe the dingo ate your baby. <laughs> and it's just Julia Louis-Dreyfus like putting on one of her trademark, like insanely yes. hilarious. Mm-hmm. But okay, so the real dingo, I know that like there was somebody, I think they were like camping or something and they are yeah. predatory animals. They and were of course, camping like, and then is along, I mean... Uh, Georgia did this one. It was really well done, I thought. And so basically, they it was like it was two tents, and all the kids were in one tent, and the parents were in the tent by themselves, which at first people thought was weird or whatever. Um, and then when they did forensics to like try and find the baby or whatever, they found blood in the car, and so everyone thought it was her, and she actually went to jail for a while. Long story short, the forensics was wrong. It wasn't blood in the car. It was like jelly, like literally oh jelly. All this <laughs> I don't other think stuff you're happened, ready for and this after jelly. like <laughs> they were not ready for this jelly. <laughs> after 22 years, like the Australian Supreme Court decided that a dingo, in fact, did take the baby. Oh my God. And I it's just true, get... but it's so weird because everyone there thought that she did it because yeah. they. It was just showing how like all the was this like a Jean Benet level like media? Oh yeah, event? it okay. was to that caliber. Mm-hmm. It was for them over there, and even over here, to a certain degree. And it's and it's kind of sad but funny at the same time too. When like this personal tragedy becomes kind of like a punchline. It does, yeah. But it's also John Benet is a punchline now. Exactly, too. but it's it's also kind of one of those things where I feel like because the world is so grim, sometimes you do need to. And see, that's what they say. Know. Like we use humor to like get talk about these awful events that we're somehow fascinated by. That's really cool. So um, just to recap, if you want to get into some really hilarious, um, nihilistic, incisive, intelligent, political, leftist, hardcore, um, check out Chapo, Trap House, uh, the podcast, Chapo Guide to Revolution. Um, also, Google Amber Ollie Frost, who's the the woman who is often on Trapo Trap House. She's she is a member of the cast. She's just not on every episode, but she also has some writing of her own that she did. And like I said, like she, the episodes that she's on, like the episodes she's not on, I feel like the highest they can get is to like a B plus A minus. But <laughs> but I think they pretty much started an A when she's on, and the good ones I give, I give them an A plus. Um, Andrew talked about the Hearthstone controversy related to. Uh, the Hong Kong protest. Hearthstone actually is a really cool game. Uh, so if you want to check that out, especially one that you can like sort of have a LAN party atmosphere because two people with two smartphones can play against each other in the same room. And if you're in the Magic the Gathering, it is a cool uh, game to check out. And I think, isn't it free too? There's like a free version. Hearthstone has a free version. Okay. You so can pay for the DLC. Yeah. So play the, so yeah, so, you know, all those freemium games, fuck the premium stuff. Just <laughs> play yourself a little bit of Hearthstone if you're interested in that. Just don't, you know, buy anything on the ads you see or, uh, or pay for the premium. And we talked about a little bit too. We pulled out of uh, Rachel's mind of my favorite murder. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can just find it as a whole like Apple podcast, Google podcast. Anywhere. They have a site. Okay. I'm definitely going to check that one out. Um, yeah. 
I love how people like yeah like get into genres and like that like don't seem to um, lend themselves to humor, but they can inject that in it. Well, I do want to talk a little bit more about like before we leave because we're about to wrap up, um, and I'm going to travel through time and space, and we're going to talk to uh, my little brother Troy about his half of the episode. So I'm sure he's got something good cooked up. But before we do, um, where can people listen to Armchair Apocrypha? Where can people get into like absinthe activism arts and all that? So you can listen to the podcast pretty much anywhere. We're on Spotify podcasts. We um, I usually use uh, Podcast Addict. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud. Um, basically, wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, we're also on Stitcher and Apple. Uh, basically, wherever. Cool. And then Absinthe Activism Arts has a Facebook that you can like. We have a Facebook page and a Twitter, but we're not, we don't usually use the Twitter very yeah. much. And you can also, uh, you can find pictures of our dog Mercury on my Instagram <laughs> okay. at uh, AWM Rights. And cool. if you're on the Fediverse, I'm at AWM Rights. Cool. And then, um, so you have a few novels. Well, two, I know. You mm-hmm. have, is Red Hats, Black Masks, your Antifa novel? Yes. Uh, so I've got Red Hats, Black Mask, which is a, a novel about anti-fascists in Las Vegas. And I've got In the Shadows of My Mind, which is a novel about a neurodivergent FBI agent. Exactly. And Andrew and I both um, are fans of horror and writers ourselves. So you'll hear a lot more about this in um, the Armchair Apocrypha episode I'm going to be on, but I wrote a story called um, The Last Journals of Nellie Bly, Clash of the Kaiju. If you want to check that out, go to AmericanFantastic.com. It's in written and audio form. Andrew wrote this kick-ass story called The Wall, which is kind of like this really cool dystopian sci-fi with a lot of social commentary, but it also has some like really good... I don't know. It's like your cool Halloween story. It's got some gore. It's <laughs> got some like uh, intrigue. It's got a really neat um, protagonist because it's there's like a resistance and an oppressor but the uh protagonist is the side on the oppressors which i thought was really cool did you want to talk to any more about that i'm trying not to spoil it but uh go read it it's on medium it's free um you shouldn't run into a paywall unless you're a member but uh go check it out it's just my halloween story yeah it's very short and sweet so it's, it can definitely be read in one sitting but it'll rock your world a little bit um rachel is there anything you want to plug other than like you know i don't know if there's anything that you're doing or you got going on or any social media you want to talk about i've got nothing going on over here <laughs> Like I said, I do very little. He does everything. <laughs> well, you do. I don't know. Just I mean, here for the looks. I'm just joking. Rachel says she does very little, but I mean, because I listen to Armchair Apocrypha. I don't catch every single episode just because I don't have as much time um, as podcasts that I want to listen to. But there's this really cool episode. So Andrew seems to do more of the – well, you guys both do some pretty hardcore history stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's always, like, usually people that are, like – I would say like freedom fighters, or but like people you don't hear about necessarily in like a high school history class. But the other strength that Rachel has is she will just do, totally dig into like pop culture <laughs> and like mainstream pop culture, but to a degree where um, there's like some pretty hardcore analysis. Like I learned so much about Beyonce okay. on this episode you did, like about her being from um, Alabama. I didn't know the relationship she had with her dad, which like was weird because it was like he was her producer. It like reminded me about Michael Jackson and her yep. fa- his father. Um, but then the crossover was like, so Andrew talked about the Rainbow Coalition, which is like literally like 60s, 70s radical movement. Yeah. Um, and Fred Hampton from the Black Panthers, I don't know, was he officially a member or was he? Yeah, he was He was the member representing the Black Panthers. Okay. And he was um, murdered, was by the FBI, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it was neat because in the Beyonce episode, Rachel was talking about um, the halftime show that Beyonce did, which a lot of people consider like the best Super Bowl halftime so show, good. or one of the best. Um, 
and there was so much Black Panther, um, like there was military marching coming oh, yeah. in. There was the outfits, and that basically like made mainstream white America shit their pants, which I thought was lovely because the <laughs> Super Bowl is basically like everyone's watching. Yeah, this like capitalist orgy. But then like we were just talking about the kneeling protesters, and so it's like. Yeah, whatever rocks them out of their Ford truck, hot dog, um, Home Depot world. I love it. So anyway, yeah, don't sell yourself short, Rachel. You do a whole lot for absence of activism arts, and I'm chair apocrypha. And I definitely think I'm definitely like a bigger fan for it. I think I'm glad to have you there. Thank you. You're welcome. So um, like I said, we're going to get to segment two now. We've gone for 40 minutes, so this is an extra long episode of Hip Squared. But since we're between seasons episodes two and three, um, yeah, just consider this uh, season zero, episode double zero, and because we're not in a, a regular season yet, we can just do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> um, all right. Oh, and I'm going to be on an episode of Armchair Apocrypha. I'm going to talk a lot about Nellie Bly. Um, so I think Andrew's going to beat me to the punch when that gets released, because it'll probably be released, what, next Friday? That's when uh, your episodes come out? Probably. Probably. Probably sometime this week. Okay. Um, and season zero, episode double zero, will be released whenever I can uh, talk to Troy, which should be soon. So we'll try to get these out around the same time. Um, also, just anybody who makes a podcast, if you want to uh, do a crossover episode with me, I'd love to. Uh, I plan to do one soon with Lizzie Carraway and Emery Williamson from Two Nuts in a Pod. That's a mental health podcast they do. I've been on an episode of that and talked about um, my experience with bipolar. Um, and there is nothing official yet, but I think, like, there is some simmering of, like, a, I call it the Louisville Podcast Alliance, but there's no official thing. Um, are We Finish is, and this might not come out till after November 14th, but Are, are We Finish is a marriage podcast hosted by a, a black and white husband and or sorry a black husband and wife um which is really neat saying like get out of the whole like white male um dominated genre but they do a podcast all about relationships and marriage and it's really funny and they're hosting a mixer on november 14th where we like hopefully i'm gonna go andrew i don't know if you've heard of this yet or i i have it uh saved on my events page i'm just gonna try to make it yeah and we'll see i will try to do my first live podcast episode ever there but if i don't <laughs> excuse me I'll just uh, be there and having fun. So I believe artists always work better in collaboration and an alliance instead of competition. Uh, American Fantastic, one of our core values is we're a digital arts collective. I like to hype and promote uh, writers and artists in Louisville. That's where I self-publish as well. So, um, yeah, if you'd like to come <laughs> invite me on. <laughs> if you'd like to invite me on, if you'd like to be on an episode of Hip Squared or 5 Talk 2, which is my long-form interview show a la... Terry Gross, a fresh air Terry Gross or Mark Marin. Um, I'd love to do that with you. If you'd like to have me on an episode of yours, love to do that. Or just um, we should all keep promoting each other and we should all keep um, hyping each other because nobody else is going to do that, especially those of us who are broke as shit and can't afford a lot of marketing or sponsorships and stuff. So that's one of uh, the reasons I invited uh, Rachel and Andrew here and why we want to keep doing this because um, if we aren't there for each other, no one else is going to be. So thank you. And thank you guys for so much for coming on. Thank you for having us. All right. So this outro is officially over. Troy is going to be here in just a moment, and you'll just hear a little interstitial. Whoa, we're already going into it. Whoa, wait. Oh, okay. Here we go. Back in reality, uh, through the tunnel, through time and space. And Troy and Maple are here with me. You know, I really need to get this time machine working for work. Like, there are a lot of things I could do with the time machine at work. Yeah, I think so. I, the one thing I would do with the time machine at work was I would go to the end of my shift and clock out. Ooh. <laughs> Um, so today I'm talking about a little book that is, uh, I'm going to call it weird, 
new and local. Uh, it's by a local author by the name of uh, Pat Burton. He's a uh, teacher at Mercy Academy. He's one of uh, my wife's friends, and he recently wrote a book, and it's uh, published on Amazon. You can go find it there. Uh, check him out. Always support your local artists. Um, so the book is called Redirected, and it's a slow burn thriller uh, about uh, two characters, one by the name of uh, Nate. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this is... so. I started reading this on our uh, flight to New York because um, Abby and I took a flight to New York for our anniversary, and I haven't been able to pick it up because I've been finishing a couple other books, but uh, so if some of my details are sketchy. That's why. Uh, but it focuses on uh, one guy by the name of Nate who wakes up from a coma, and he um, can't remember any details about his life. He can't remember... Um, what his wife looks like, um, the essentially like the city he's in. He can't remember uh, his kid's name, any mm-hmm. of his for, any of his friends. He can't he can't actually remember his name at the beginning of the book. And there's all these details that like all this that's just very blurry and very fuzzy that he doesn't understand. Yeah, I think amnesia is one of the kind of common premises for a lot of thrillers because it injects a lot of uh, potential for mystery and uncovering things right and it also gives the it sets the reader off at the same at a good starting point of like okay you this character doesn't know anything you don't know anything see now now like we don't have any preconceptions of you did you sorry to interrupt you did you mention the name pat burden the author's name and i just was totally oblivious i think i did but if not i'm gonna mention it again pat burden pat burden um (laughs) like tim burton but with pat exactly so he um so the book starts off with Nate waking up in a hospital bed, and he doesn't know anything that's happened before. Well, kind of. Prior to that, we get a, a little scene with these two people that are standing in his hospital bed, and just this, like, really weird atmosphere that something odd is going on. And he wakes up, and he doesn't remember anything. He doesn't remember his family. He doesn't matter, uh, remember his kid, his dog, his wife, his former job, why he's in uh, Indiana in the first place. But... Um, he quickly gets an update from his family and he's the doctors and everyone and all the research that he's doing. It seems that this amnesia that he has is really odd. Like it's rare that people don't remember specifics. Uh, normally they just like don't remember an amount of time in the past, but he can't remember pretty much anything about his past. So it's kind of like he knows how to talk. Yeah, but he doesn't know anything about like he can't even remember anything about his life. Just right, like like. like I, like he knows what a car is, but mm-hmm. he don't know he doesn't know what kind of car he has. Gotcha. It would be stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he knows what again. He knows like what a daughter is, but he doesn't know that he has a daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of follows him through like getting back on his feet and all the weird circumstances that are that are going around. He like. Um, gets home and there are these uh, neighbors that don't really come out of their house. That's kind of weird. And there's um, this whole like uh, just like a, a lot of suspense. There's there's a uh, one scene where there's a gunshot and it, it just like breaks off from there and he freaks out. And it, there's a whole lot of like just like these little moments of building tension and these small mysteries in the background that he's trying to figure out because. Um, even though his wife has told him, like, this is this is who you are, this is what you've done with your life, like, we moved here from Florida because of the hurricane that came through and all of this stuff, it, something just doesn't feel right to him. So he's trying to solve these mysteries. Um, 
And at the same time, as we go through his story, we're getting flashes to this whole other point of view. Uh, and that's from, again, detail, details that I'm uh, so soft Nate, on. Nate is the amnesiac. Yep. And, and then family. Uh, Jacobson is our other guy who essentially we realize early on is keeping an eye on Jake. He's this surveillance guy and has been like kind of following or following, sorry, not Jake, Nate, uh, mm-hmm. following Nate's process throughout the, uh, through this book. And you go, okay. So something like some like big government organizations going on or something like this is something weird is happening, but you don't get a whole lot of details of what or why. Um, so I haven't finished the book yet. Um, I just got to part three, uh, and my wife, who read the whole book, says part three is where it gets really good, and after you get to part three, you can't put it down. So okay. uh, I figured it was a good place to stop before I like got into that and got into all the spoilers. But mm-hmm. uh, now you know that it's it gets crazy at part three. Um, the but the whole atmosphere of the book is very tense. Uh, and it's very enjoyable. There's um, there's definitely some slow parts to it, mm-hmm. which I think just um, like really make the make the tension burn that's in there that much more interesting. So mm-hmm. you mentioned Jacobson and Nate. Yep. Um, are there parts of the story that are told from Jacobson's perspective? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because there's parts that are told from Jacobson's perspective and parts that are told from Nate's perspective. And so and Nate, Nate doesn't know Jacobson is there at all, where Jacobson is kind of like keeping an eye on Nate, it gotcha. seems. And so they're kind of intertwined, but they don't, Nate doesn't necessarily know at first that there's this, okay. Right, right. And Jacobson's like, and clearly there's um, pretty early on, I don't think I'm getting too deep into spoilers, there's some experiments that have been going on, and that's what's being done with Nate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it hasn't gone well in the past. Okay. So, like, you, you again, you don't know... Um, exactly where this is going. Like, you have an idea of, like, okay, like, there's there's a few directions this could take, um, but you don't know exactly why um, we're following this guy and, like, what has happened to yeah, him. It seems kind of like an interesting, it almost reminds me a little bit of, um, like, government conspiracies, like MK Ultra, which is all about government mind control and, like, a lot of it's drug-induced. And this, instead of, it's, it's, I'm going to say it's, like, it's kind. It's not necessarily like mind control. Like you're not forcing somebody to do something, but I can see why you would. It would be very useful to be able to erase somebody's memories. Right. It's more. It's more like science fiction and like why is like if we could, um, if somebody could forget like their whole past. Well, what would it do to them and how would they? How would their realization of things uh, change? And the other whole concept that he had that Nate has going through this is like everything I know. I know because either my wife has told me or one of my close friends has told me, can I trust them? Yeah. And like that, like once he, he, he hits that dynamic and it's like, Ooh, like we've learned all of this about you, but we don't know how much of this, like we can actually follow through and how much we believe. Um, so like, like what has actually happened in his past? And that's, I mean, that's the big part of the book. That's the whole, whole drive about what he's doing. It's, it's a really, again, it's a slow burn. There's definitely some slow, there's some, slower parts um and those parts in particular uh i would say are really good if you're um a teacher because he like he um again this was written by a teacher at mercy so he he kind of goes through like um like the classes and like getting um getting ready for class and like what he has to do because there's again this guy that 
he like has forgotten his whole past, but he's a teacher and now mm-hmm. he has this job that's coming up. But he doesn't remember anything because he like lost his memory. So now he has mm-hmm. to relearn all of this stuff. And the the those scenes are not my favorite. Yeah. Um, but again, I think that's coming. I think if you're a teacher, you'll like find it's like this a lot more. I mean, it's because I know in writers, right? A lot of times they kind of imagine characters that are very are similar to them in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's funny that in a thriller that his occupation is teacher mm-hmm. because that doesn't usually lend itself to really tense situations necessarily. But in a way, it's also kind of cool because it defies the conventions of, you know, like, you know, he's not a financier on Wall Street. Yeah, or he's, he's not, not a like detective. A, he's not a drug dealer or something. He's an actual, like, uh, just... <laughs> right, and he's in this, like, small town in Indiana. So you're like, what? how sinister can it be? Like, mm-hmm. what can really be going, like, that bad that he needs to, uh, that, like, we need to follow it through? But there's a there's a there's quite a few uh, really good, like, small breaks that um, happen in the end of chapters where, like... Um, he'll get just like this t- tiny piece of information. You'll get this tiny piece of information and they'll break away from it. Um, or you'll get this like this like piece of news and they'll break away from it. And it's, it's all of those added together that um, build this suspense throughout the book. Like, okay, you've got like, you've got all these strings that are hanging and you just want to, you want to start like tying some of them off and finish them off and like, okay, mm-hmm. this is happening. Well, how does that conclude? And he's, he's leaving them there for you, I think for the final act. Cool. Um, which is a really nice way to do it. I mean, I mean, it's if it works, it's gonna be really satisfying. <laughs> so, just um, judging from the cover, it's kind of like a purple cover with some arrows on it, but it yep. looks very professional. Does he? Does he self-publish, or did he find like a small imprint to publish that? Uh, he published through Amazon. If you want to find the book, you can find it on Amazon. Okay. Um, so I guess I think what it's called now is Kindle Direct Publishing, where you can design the book cover and. It's just whoever did the graphic design for the cover, it looks really polished. And, like, if I saw it on the shelf, because sometimes mm-hmm. self-published stuff kind of sticks out because it's just not as visually appealing as you are used to. But that, I wouldn't, like, if I just saw that on the shelf, I wouldn't think. Um, you wouldn't think it was just a self-published book. Yeah. Exactly. No, no. I mean, it is it's high quality. Um, I have found, I think, very few to no, uh, like, real grammar issues, which mm-hmm. I've, I've found in other uh, self-published yeah. books, but it's it's been very clean in that regard. Um, the, um, what else do I want to say? The, oh, on the cover, if you're looking for it, is a purple cover with two arrows, and if you look in the center, there's actually, like, an eye in this yeah, mosaic kind of thing. Um, but so far, it's been really solid. Um, my wife, Abby, she loved it. Um uh, couldn't stop talking about it. Wanted me like wanted me to read it right away, and I've had like other books <laughs> like that have piled up. So now now I'm finally getting back to it, and probably gonna finish it off pretty soon. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a solid book. It's really entertaining. That's good. And, yeah. and and I'm not sure how much like how much more I can add be set before <laughs> I like start getting into spoiler land. Yeah, well that's neat. I'm glad that you um you found something that you like, especially from a local author, and it's neat when teachers have time to do big projects like that right <laughs> right because um right I, that he, yeah it's really nice that he was able to like take time take time out of his busy work week to like to get this done um is that his first book do you know it's his first book um i believe and i'm not entirely sure this is true he might be writing another um or my wife has just been saying that to mess with me mm-hmm. um 
but uh, yeah, no, it's it's a solid thriller. Um, and let's see, I want to see if there's anything else that I'm missing. Um, yeah, and it's 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 a book that is just about like uh, this guy Nate Driscoll, his past like unraveling behind him, yeah, uh, cool. or and trying to figure out what's really going on. Okay. Um, which way do you feel like spending a few minutes talking about anything else, or do you want to kind of like get into the outro, or what do you feel like doing? Um, the only other thing that I wanted to cover, I mean, uh, again, I don't have a whole lot more on this book because I, I haven't finished it. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to like no, 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 wrap up the segment. <laughs> no, you're all good. Um, I know the uh, was it the Witcher series? I think I've been, I think I talked about the Witcher yeah, in the last podcast. About the, mm-hmm. And the yeah, the last podcast we did. Um, there's more details about the Witcher series that are out, and I'm very excited for it. So okay. I just wanted to tell people like you should really read the books. I actually brought the book here for John to read if he wants yeah. to. Um, but it's a uh, it's coming out in December. They've announced uh, release dates and all that. So. Cool. So that's the next book in the series coming out. Uh, no, that's the that's the Netflix show coming oh, out. Oh, the Netflix show. Yeah, with really um, um, oh, new Superman. What is his name? <laughs> uh, I can't remember the name of the actor. Henry Cavill Henry as Cavill. playing uh, the witch as playing Geralt. But anyways, cool. yeah, yeah, that's neat. I I have a um, book. I have a hard time focusing on one book. I used to. What I really need to do to be disciplined to actually get through books is read one fiction and one nonfiction at a time. Because oh. uh, I do like to have books to switch back and forth between. But now I'm reading um, Lilith Fruit by Octavia Butler. Mm, okay. Uh, she's a black, oh, okay. black science fiction uh, woman writer. She's um, won Hugo Awards and Nebula Awards, like very critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a trilogy. The first part is called Dawn. And it's just really weird sci-fi about aliens kind of like seeding a post-apocalyptic earth with human survivors. <laughs> wow. Okay. And then um, I'm reading a manga called Vinland, which is also an anime. It's about Vikings. That's all I really need to say about nice. it. Nice. It's a very... Manly. Well, it's, it's good because it's violent, but it's also it has a very um, a pacifist kind of message. Hmm. Okay. Like the heroes are all people trying to let go of their violent pasts. Oh, okay. And then the, um, <laughs> cool, <laughs> there's cool. any parents out there listening, the other book I'll mention is uh, called uh, Happiest Toddler in the Block. No. And that's just a really good parenting book. Um, I was kind of, so I was with Troy, um, with my daughter at Troy's house and his wife, Abby's house. We were, um, just to give my wife some time to herself for a little bit, which is important. Um, but one of the strategies in that book is to repeat what your child is saying so that they know you know what they mean. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people will try to, like, talk very slowly, and, and but it's like kids can only process so much. So, like, if guy is mad, like, she doesn't want to put her jacket on, I might say something like, guy, I'm mad. Guy, I say, no jacket. No one jacket. And then what you do is when they start to calm down a little bit, you say what like you need to say it's like outside it's cold need a jacket and uh it's just really neat it's by a pediatrician and hmm. it's kind of like blew me away by how um by how sophisticated it is that's awesome but yeah and you have a hard time reading just one book too i do yeah. i've been i mean i've been reading the witcher i've been reading this i've got another book mm-hmm. um which i think i mentioned called um uh, it's the storm before the storm, the uh, lead up to the fall of the Roman Republic. Okay. And 
I probably have at least one other one that I'm not that I want to read that I haven't gotten to. Yeah. So. Usually I can at least finish them eventually. Sometimes I have to go late and my library renewals and stuff like that to do it, but <laughs> you'll um, get there. Yeah, almost always <laughs> I finish it. Um, but I want to thank everybody so much for listening to Hip Squared. Uh, we were produced tonight by Mayplex Monk. If you want to see more of uh, Mayplex's work, you can go to mayplexmonk.com. Our intro and outro music is by Dano Songs. Uh, go to enter, go to danosongs.com if you'd like to get any royalty-free music with your project. Um, if you'd like to check out more of American Fantastic, go to americanfantastic.com. We have a couple other podcasts um, up right now. One is called 50 Talk 2. That's a long-form interview podcast I do. The last one was with um, Krishna and Marty Elin from the heavy metal band Cyclops Shaman and the Alice Cooper cover band uh, Pretty Little Things. I also have three episodes of American Fantastic Theater out, which is my audiobook um, adaptation of my written work. Troy actually read a version of The Cottonwood Curse. Mm-hmm. And there's also um, 13 Canos, which is a queer coming-of-age ghost story, and The Lost Journals of Nellie Bly, Clash of the Kaiju, is my most recent Halloween story, and it's up on there now. It's kind of like historical fantasy crossed with uh, Japanese kaiju like giant monsters um, so that's all there now and there's also a big Halloween update that was just posted um, so as we wrap up this episode um, I do want to thank everybody for listening uh, for however many episodes you listen to this is going to be the last episode of Hip Squared for a while um, mm-hmm. I talked about I think it was in the second season about the book Barbels um, it's by Ellen Fornance about bipolar and that's something I've been struggling with a lot lately. Um, it started to affect my family relationships. So right now, what I need to do as an individual is kind of give that, managing my mental health and helping my family, like my 100% focus. So that means I'm going to be stepping back from my creative work. Uh, it doesn't mean American Fantastic's going away, but it does mean it'll kind of be um, in, in hibernation for a while. So I'll still be writing, I'll still be uh, doing that kind of thing, but a lot of it's going to have to be focused on me. So, um, and I wanted to thank Troy and Maple. They've been so understanding about all of this. Um, a lot of, like, the rest of my fam- friends and family have too. Um, and it really means a lot to me. So what I would ask, if anybody out there is listening and knows somebody uh, who's struggling with mental illness, just be as supportive of them as you possibly can. It really means a lot, even small things that you don't think are a big deal. Um, like if they have to cancel plans or if they are upset or if they just need somebody to talk to you. Like, those are all things that seem little but are big and if you are someone who struggles with mental illness I would encourage you to um, get whatever kind of help you think will work best for you and not to give up on yourself because um, as long as you're still you know above this earth there's always going to be hope for you so all that being said (laughs) (laughs) um, we are just like a, a, a like a funny pop culture show like a chill pop culture show so we like to keep it light most of the time but um the reason we're going away, we didn't want you guys to just think like, well, they must be done with this thing. I guess they got tired of it. No, it's um, just because sometimes life gets um, has to be a bigger priority than your art. Yep. So Life gets hectic. Life gets hectic. But um, for the last word, Troy, is there anything I forgot? Nah, I think we got it all. All right, toodles. Toodles.